Hey there, perfect peeps. Have you ever wanted to come on to a podcast and talk about what you've been working on? Or do you have a product to show off? We would love to have you on perfect.dev. Please reach out. You can find us on codingcat.dev or just reach out to me personally, alex at codingcat.dev. Come say hello. Don't be afraid. We'd love to have you on. Thanks so much. Welcome back, perfect peeps, to perfect.dev. On today's show, we have the one, the only, Scott Talinsky. Hey! Going good. Uh, If you don't know Scott, I'd be blown away at this point, but essentially Scott uh, is all over the internet, especially in the JavaScript JavaScript, uh, front-end web space. He's a web developer. He's creator of Level Up Tutorials or Level Up Tuts, if you've heard it that way. Uh, Scott is also, the the thing I always forget about you is that you're a B-boy, part of the Robotops crew. and (laughs) Yeah. and where people have probably seen you the most is on Syntax FM, where you hang out with Wes Boss a, a couple times a week, right? Tasty, tasty treats, hasty treats. Tasty and tasty. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, all of those awesome. things. Well, thanks for coming on, Scott. I really appreciate it. Uh, as you can tell, Scott is wearing his uh, U of M Go Blue hat. Nice to have a Michigander with us, even if <laughs> yeah. he did move away. Even if I did, yeah. Who knows? We might move back at some point. Maybe not, but maybe. Who knows? Hold up there, Scott. Don't do it. It's yeah. Cold. <laughs> it's cold in Denver, too. I should have well, I should have uh, put my hat on today. I don't know what I was thinking. I got my windows open right now. All of the windows <laughs> open in the house. It's sunny and gorgeous. See, yeah. It's sunny here, but it's that's, still That's cold. not happening, though. It's It yeah. was like 25 when I woke up. I think we've made it to 42, maybe. Oh, yeah. We have snow on the ground, but it's probably close to like 50 or 60 out. Um, oh, just, nice. oh, my goodness. That's yeah. crazy. It's, like, it's, it's weird like that. We'll get dumped on with snow. And we'll get a ton of it. It'll be super cold for a couple of days. The sun's out, and then it just feels like summer in the middle of January or February. So oh, That's wow. awesome. Uh, I've got a shout-out already from um, what's, nice. what's up, Michigan Devs. That's hey. exciting. I think there's becoming more and more Michigan Devs. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. When I left, it was like the Southeast Michigan JavaScript meetup was like the only meetup that existed. (laughs) They've kind of died off during COVID, but we had like Angular and Arbor Angular uh, with Kim. uh, I always say her last name wrong. Maida. Maida. I did an interview with her once at, um, she worked at an agency in Ann Arbor and she was one of the interviewers in my interview there. Uh, Although I didn't get a job which was uh, something I would have preferred to have gotten the job, but uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway. yeah, for sure. Things, yeah. things seem to have uh, worked out for you though. I think. Yeah, it's all good. You're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you're doing all right. So probably what I, wow. I just noticed that Brittany has it in her background, but what I, what I haven't brought up is that we're going to talk about creating a learning platform. Look at you. Your green hey. screen name is on point today. I love yeah. it. Is is Scott's uh, face behind you as well? Is that how that is? Uh, no, I no, no you, I edited it a little. You've more. been playing in Figma all day. I see. Figma. Very cool. So yeah, we we are talking all about creating a learning platform, and the reason for that is all of Scott's wonderful work on Level Up Tutorials. Um, Brittany and I have both been fans for for years now of both Level Up and Syntax, and so. Pretty excited to have you on. I know uh, Brittany's been uh, giddy all day. She keeps pinging me. Scott's on. Scott's on. We're going live, right? <laughs> like, oh, I was just going to save this episode. She's like, we got to go live. Oh, no. Yeah. I was like, Scott retweeted that we're going live. So we're going live. <laughs> we're going live. That's right. <laughs> we got to do it live. So our, our first in uh, many questions as we get through this discussion, when did you first start uh, deciding to create a learning platform? Like what prompted that? Yeah. The big thing for me was um, I was working my first developer job. So my first full-time job, I landed as a developer in April or in March of 2011. I remember distinctly there was an agency in Ann Arbor called Q LTD. And, um, and uh, they, they uh, had a job opening for a developer and they didn't have like a ton of openings pop up. And my wife found it for me, and I, I wrote this, like, really, really good cover letter, like, super impassioned, like, like this is my dream job kind of cover letter. And I got the, the opportunity to work there, and that was in April, 
or March of 2011. And then so by March of 2012, I had already started level up tutorials. So um, I was working there with a guy named Ben Schaff, who who was my manager, my boss at the time. He's now working at the University of Michigan. And he's, you know, just a fantastic developer. And so he he was my mentor for a lot of things. And he and I used to buy a lot of tutorial courses on um, Expression Engine or Drupal. There were several companies that made them in Drupal. And he and I just used to have these like chit chats during lunch. Like, yeah, this tutorial was good, but like I didn't like these aspects of it. And then we used to watch a lot of stuff on YouTube, but YouTube at the time there was like one or two channels doing programming tutorials yeah. and they, they were like mostly done by people who were maybe better at the tutorial, like creating the content than they were at the code stuff. So they were like examples weren't good, not real world, whatever. And it didn't feel like, like I felt like I was learning something, but I didn't feel like it was practical. So he and I was just like, Hey, how hard would this actually be to do? Like what would like how how difficult would this be to sit down and record a video tutorial? And I started small with some After Effects and Adobe Premiere tutorials instead of coding because I was like I was only a year into my first pro job. Like I had I had worked like done freelance gigs and stuff before then, but it was like my first real web dev job. So I was still feeling a little self conscious about it all, and um, I I dug in with the Premiere tutorials, and it just wasn't like they weren't going super well. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll try my hand at some some Drupal and Magento tutorials because I was doing a lot of Drupal and Magento. And they seemed to, to, to not only like pick up some steam, but I, I had a nut, like a billion topics to do because Drupal at the time was mostly documented through their own like package pages. And these package pages of the documentation was either like non-existent or not good or um, you'd have to sit through it like a a conference talk or something to like really pick up little things here and there. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to start doing the little stuff that nobody's done on here, how to create views this way, how to install Drupal on Mac, how to do this, whatever. And I just started creating these little ones. And um, I don't know, I, it's been a long time since I've watched any of them. I'm sure I'm terrible. Uh, but, you know, I just started doing them. And uh, around the same time, I had gotten a concussion uh, from dancing. I'd done a little spin around and smack my head on the ground. And I um, had suddenly three days a week, a few hours in the evening. My wife was getting her PhD at the time. So she was busy to say the least. Um, <laughs> and I typically would go to dance practice three times a week. I would drive out to Ann Arbor. We lived in a smaller city outside of Ann Arbor, but I would drive into Ann Arbor, uh, go to campus and then dance on campus with uh, a group that I had been a part of since I was in college. And I would do that three times a week for a couple hours. So I suddenly had this huge gaps of time where I was just like, well, I could sit at home and play uh, video games, which I was already doing the other two nights of the week, or I could, you know, uh, take on more projects or I could just try this video tutorial thing. And so I would work all day long on Drupal. I would come home, eat dinner, hang out with my wife. She would go, um, you know, start to do her studying. And then I would go to my office and record a couple of tutorials. And if they were good, I'd keep them, throw them up. If I if they weren't good, I'd just toss them. Um, and next thing you know, three days a week, a couple hours here and there, I'm producing nine tutorials a week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I used to have like goals, goal lists and stuff. And I had more topics than I had time to do. So it's not like I was running out of time because there's an infinite amount of things to teach in Drupal and Magento and whatever, like literally infinite. And so I, I just, I just started doing it here and there. And um, over time, it just kind of picked up. So the the guy um, who created Compass, Chris Epstein, retweeted out my Compass and SAS tutorials at some point, picked up a little bump in traffic. And then the Drupal ones just slowly kept growing and growing. I bet the Magento ones I have up, uh, the Magento ones ended up doing really well for me because Magento is really terrible like not terrible platform <laughs> but it, it was really difficult to develop it and debug well, things it and that are hard to learn i think that's what you found is like a little niche of uh, content that wasn't already out there so mm -hmm. you found that and got that content out there and provided it to people that needed it so that was probably a big driver and you didn't graduate from college for that so how did that transition mm. happen because you did music production is that right yeah, I went to school for music production. Uh, the program was called Performing Arts Technology. Uh, it was at the University of Michigan, and I had a media arts concentration because within <laughs> Performing Arts Technology, there were four concentrations. And 
each of those concentrations only admitted three students per year. So like it was a really small group of, of students and very hyper focused. So um, my media arts was video production. Um, it was I had to take 18 dance credits, 18 art credits. I ended up taking like sewing and stuff, um, just like a bunch of like all around art multimedia. One of the classes I took was um, like projection installation art. That was a class wow. where like the whole focus of the thing was focusing on projectors, spaces, and creating interactive art pieces. Uh, and I did a little bit of programming through there using a language called Max MSP and Jitter, uh, of which I don't do anymore, but it was really cool. People in my program were doing like nuts stuff, like a ping pong table that played music based on the triggers when you were hitting the ping pong. Oh, that's, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So everybody was just doing kind of bizarre stuff and uh, a lot of people from that program like went on to do like huge, huge things. And I always was feeling really like, well, I'm the only one still in Michigan and I'm doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, one of my best friends was like the guitarist of 30 Seconds to Mars with Jared Leto. His like Instagram feed was him just wow. hanging out with Jared Leto. And I'm just like, what? you, you jerk. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So everybody went out like, oh, oh yeah, uh, another one. Um, so the there were three media art students, uh, me, my friend, Jamie uh, Sheffman, and then um, the other, the other one, uh, the other graduate, I'm trying to remember her name right now. She got second place on the voice on TV. So it's what? like, yeah, every, every hyper, hyper, like, oh, and the guys, there's a band called Wolfpack. They like sold out Madison Square Garden. They went to my program and they were just like really high performers in all sorts of ways. So do you ever feel cool. like when, when you're like getting a big head, you're like, oh yeah, but these guys I graduated with. Wow. Yeah. I don't get a big head because like. Everybody that I, I, I like talk to, like my friends from high school and college are all like, oh, yeah, just my album, my master won a Grammy last week. And I'm just like, shut up. Like, so, so, so I still feel like I have like a ton of like catching up to do to a lot of those people. And I think that's that's probably like a benefit to me because like, you know, you when you surround yourself with people who are, are like super high achievers, you like really want to or at least I, I really want to like figure out how I can compete with them in some sort of degree. But um, so so. I did a lot of audio production, video production, and even programming to some extent, but not web development. Um, it's, I, it's kind of, sorry. No, no, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's kind of funny that you mentioned like the high achievers part. Um, so it, it's always fun talking to my son. He's he's 12. And so it's he's trying to get, you know, that next mindset of high school and stuff like that. And when mm -hmm. I talk to my wife, she's way smarter than I am. And she um, talks, she went to University of Michigan and she talks oh. how like, she was, you know, high A's like whatever top of her class and then she got to Michigan and just surrounded herself with all the rest of these people and it was really a like down-to-earth moment for her of wow yeah. everyone's like a rocket scientist around here and I am just doing this other thing so this is kind of incredible to to meet these other individuals that are going to Michigan it was like that um I I like dropped my freshman level, I didn't even have to take math. I took math for fun at Michigan and I dropped it because I, I tested out from AP Calc and I tested out and I was like, oh, I'll just take math because I'm good at it. And I was like a couple weeks in, in the like Calc three or whatever I had tested into. And I was just like, oh boy, this is, this is like way not the same. This is way too hard. Um, I, I was definitely feeling the same way just like definitely uh, brought me back down to earth in terms of like I had good grades in high school and in high school it was a matter of just like doing the assignments and whatever oh you got good grades uh, but like in college you had to do so much extra work that I was like not <laughs> interested in doing <laughs> I, I would be in the back of my music history class working on my personal website and that like should have been like a um a little, like a little indicator yeah, to indicator, me like yeah yeah, yeah. and how much that of that do you even use now yeah. Uh, you know what? Surprisingly a lot. But. Well, not music history. No, because I didn't learn anything in that class. I, <laughs> I got a D in my music history class and I love history. I'm a big history like person and I love music. So you'd think that would be really good at it, But like the whole premise of the class was like he'd play a 30 second snippet of some song out of of which you were supposed to memorize like 200 plus of these songs that are an hour long, whatever. He'd play like a 30 second snippet. You would just say the composer, the year, the style, what things were important wow. about it. And I just like I straight up bombed every single one of those exams. <laughs> and I studied hard for it, too. I just could not do it. Not for me. Yeah. Brutal.
Yeah. So that that's kind of how the the birth of was it level up tutorials back then too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Our, so our initial was... colors were were blue and orange, and a friend, uh, my boss and I, Ben, he used to do the tutorials with me, and he and I tried our hands at doing a design for it, and it never made it it never made it to production in any sense. But the, it looked terrible because neither <laughs> of us were designers. So we had a guy, um, Mike McMillan, who actually recently moved out here, and he's just a fantastic uh, designer. He was at the time, he was like an intern at the, the agency we worked for, and he was just a fantastic designer all the way around. And um, he, he came up with the logo, the brand colors, the brand identity and everything just as a, a favor for us. And um, oh. yeah, my, Mike's a super cool guy and uh, he hooked it up and and we've been rolling with that ever since. So yeah. So I, back in those days, it's hard for me to remember. Um, I don't know if Udemy was as big as it is now or some of these other um, platforms, but was there ever a moment in there where you just said to yourself, like, I'm just going to keep doing my own thing? Or was it, you know, maybe I should consider getting on one of these larger platforms so that I can get more of an audience and actually have a, a sustainable paycheck and not have to worry about, you know, when's when's the next uh, dollar coming in so I can feed the fam? Yeah. At the time, YouTube paid pretty well, uh, like much better than they do now. So, not like, <laughs> no, not anymore. And so we were like, oh, if like I wasn't planning on doing anything other than here's here's like rent money. Right. So we were thinking like, OK, if we put out these tutorials, we can both just have our, our mortgages or our rent paid, whatever, and, uh, and still collect our paycheck day to day at work. That's no big yeah. deal. Like that was the goal. The goal wasn't for it to be a full time career ever. It was just to make extra money on the side. Um, there were really no platforms to do that on other than like, say, like lynda.com yeah. or some of those that you'd have to be invited to be in. And actually, I, I did get after my YouTube series for Magento got blown up. I did do a course for packed publishing. And that um, pretty much opened my eyes into terms of some of these mega publishers like that. Um, just how bad the pay is there making more money off of YouTube for the same thing. And the money I was making off of YouTube wasn't any good. So <laughs> it was like, uh, at that point I had been like, okay, well, I'm not going to make any money doing any of this stuff. And I, I didn't really have any plans to have it be anything other than, um, free tutorials on YouTube, uh, just, just for, for fun, essentially to, to try to grow it. And that was 2012 to maybe about like 2015. That was probably my state of mind through that, that point. Yeah, very cool. Um, so as you kind of grew your own platform and you you were kind of struggling through, like, what should we host this on? What code base and, and those sort of things? I find those are always like a good spot to start to learn yourself. Is that kind of how you've structured? Like every time you iterate and change your own learning platform, is that kind of a, a moment where it gives you the opportunity to learn and then go ahead and go back and teach the the course on what you're doing or how do you find that motivation to like put out the courses you do yeah that's really it it's always been the stuff that i the stuff that i'm interested in working on already is like the stuff i want to teach because i teach this, I, I teach better when i've just been struggling through something for so long um and that was really it with Drupal. We, we'd had so many bugs that were be undocumented. So it gave us an opp opportunity to say like, all right, here's some, here's some undocumented stuff here. Let's talk about this. And, and that's, that's really like how it started and how it's always gone. Even right now, the latest course on Level Up is about um, understanding authentication in Node. Like, let's say if you wanted to roll your own authentication system, what's involved there, right? Uh, from understanding hashing, salting, encryption, those types yeah. of things, all of the, the, the nitty gritty if you're not using a library to do your authentication. And it's because I just wrote that same uh, code for Level Up Tutorials. In fact, it was such a good process for me because I wrote the code on level up tutorials. Then when I did the tutorial course, I got to rethink it all from scratch, <laughs> rewrite it all in like a beautiful, pristine environment, and then bring that code back into level up uh, in the ways that made sense. So it was like, all right, it's almost like a, um, I don't know, when I'm really, really working hard on something, I, I hit so many little things here and there. I run into so many, so many points and I, I jot down, you know, little notes for myself in terms of like, what are the big things I hit? So for me, it has always been like, what am I not like what, what is going to get the most views, but like, what do I, what can I explain the best right now to other people? 
Sure. Yeah, that's fair. So I think a, a lot of people don't know if, if they're not used to making courses or, or lessons. A lot of times, like you'll think of something and you start to go through it and you, you're figuring it out yourself because it's new to you too. Um, but then you also have to make that a, a realization, right? So you need to make an application out of it. Um, I know you were talking the other day on, on Syntax about like some, some canned things that you always run through mm-hmm. um, when you're trying out like a, a new uh, framework or, or something like that. Um, it, it's difficult for people to understand how much work goes through, like trying to edit that down and pare that ta- down. Can you talk a little bit about um, your your process for how after you have that initial idea and you start to like think of the course? Do you you know do you lay that out in an outline? Like, what does that look like for your process? So I typically. I have a notion doc that is all of the, the potential courses. Like these are all things I could do a course on uh, either something I've learned recently or something that I'm interested in spending more time with. Uh, like for instance, the course before the most recent one was on Cypress and I had done a fair amount of Cypress, but I, I'm sort of like, you know what? Our Cypress code could be a lot better. Let me, let me uh, take some time to, to really like think about this course and what might be in it and then use my code base as a learning grounds for it rather than I, so it's almost like the opposite of that. I had the idea to do the Cypress course first because it was already something I knew a little bit of, but wanted to dive in deeper. But for me, I, I take the approach that like tutorials specifically are often underserved in the, stuff that people think is too basic. My most viewed videos would always be the things that I would think people don't need to look at. Like people can read the documentation to figure this little bit out. And those would always be my most, my most viewed videos. So I I think I would, I would take the, the topics and I would try to distill it into small chunks that are, are definitely small. You don't want like too big of broad sweeping. Here's, all of the possible things you could ever learn about Cypress. There's too much, right? So like, okay, if I have a website, what are the things that I might like to test in my website? Well, I want to test to make sure the pages load, obviously. I want to test to make sure there's some interactive bits. I want to test to make sure maybe API hits are working correctly. Maybe get into how this might actually work practically in a continuous integration setup. So I, I really break it down that way. And some of it really just come through cutting my teeth through doing thousands of video tutorials. I know how much can go into one and I know how much can go into a whole course. But even, um, this is funny, I'll bring this up. I have, uh, we're we're, we're on video, right? Yeah, yeah, we can throw on whatever. So I had, my most recent course was for the authentication bit. And I'll show you this. This is, this is going to be my, my perfect. Yeah. So this is all of the videos that I had kind of come to in my brain um, in terms of like what could be in this course. And as I started getting into it, I recorded like video number 10 and up to video number 10, I'm like, you know what? I need to spend more time on these things. And I started erasing, shifting things around mm-hmm. and I'm going to have two courses out of how much content is here. And that typically never happens to me. I'm typically dead on. But this one, I I overestimated my... Uh, my ability to teach everything is concise because there's just some really heavy and big topics here. So like typically I I'm usually just, all right, I have a neighborhood anywhere between 18 and 26 videos long somewhere in there. It's a pretty big landing area. And, uh, uh, and usually I just nail it based on the types of things I know. And then I know if like the course is feeling like it needs more content, I can tack on more at the end or tack on more in the middle. But I, I do, I keep a loose outline. So I generally write a an outline. I generally write an outline that is not set in stone and I don't hold myself to that outline. If I'm five videos in and I say this outline is not going to work for various reasons, I will either start the whole thing over or I will uh, even um, you know, insert a video here, insert a video there, whatever, to try to hit that landing spot. But you- I think I, I have like a final destination in mind and it, it takes a little bit to get there. Do you typically like set yourself a very, maybe not specific, but a, a kind of a general length for your videos too? I know like the the egg ho- egghead folks, um, they like to keep as small as possible and break those mm-hmm. down. Is that is that something you try to do with your uh, your courses as well? 
Yeah, typically I like to keep them anywhere from six to 12 minutes was where we always uh, tried to be. It was funny. Um, and that's that's like before it. I, I'm not, this, this is not a slam on AKED. Before AKED existed, that's how we were doing it too. So like, um, like that's been my, my viewpoint for a long time, but it was funny. Just the most recent course, we worked with an editor for the first time in a year. Um, cause before that we were working with an editor and then I've been editing them myself. And then we, we got an editor for this most recent series. And when I was talking to him, I'm like, yeah, the videos will be, you know, six, 12 minute long. And I turned in like, maybe like, 10 to 15 videos that were 20 minutes long. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm sorry, no. man. This is like not what I estimated at all. This topic's really deep. I'm already going over. So, uh, you know. So it was digestible for you and for the editor and then for the people viewing it too. Correct. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think a lot of it is just being able to think on my feet and like adjust um, and not be too set in stone with any given outline or whatever. I have the like the code, the final code done, but like how you get to that final code is so wide open you know, that yeah. you can take a lot of different approaches to it. And it's nice that it's, it's your headspace. It's where kind of your code base is. And you've had several iterations of level up. And I think you just recently moved off of meter meteor and switched code bases. So yeah. what, what caused that drive? And um, what would you suggest with like a learning platform? What things would you use? And we actually had a question too about um, using SSR and so Brad Garropy put up, um, where do you do SSR in your platform for better SEO? Mm. So those kind of all go together a little bit. So it, so to answer the first little bit, the site used to be on Drupal because that's what we knew. There's a lot okay, of neat yep. stuff. Um, and then when Meteor first came out in 2015, I was like, oh, this would be fun to try my hand at like a little bit more of a custom platform. I was running into to some Drupal stuff. I was not necessarily psyched about being on PHP in general. I'm not a, a super talented PHP developer. Never have been. Like, I could hack together WordPress themes and Drupal plugins and whatever, but PHP was not my language. And to be honest, JavaScript really wasn't either at the time. Um, but I decided to let's let's go ahead and try to make something a little bit more custom. I had some ideas around, you know, the types of subscription things, but then also being able to purchase a la carte. And I had these requirements that I really wanted out of a platform. And at the time in 2015, there was nothing, nothing that did what I wanted to do. Um, no matter what, it was like I could have hacked it together with Drupal. That would have worked. I could have hacked it together with WordPress. It would have worked. Um, the first iteration was on something called Reaction Commerce, which still exists. It's very good. Um, and I was still seeing that I had to like... I, would have, I was having to hack the platforms too much to get it to do what I wanted to do. So I saw so rewrite it with Meteor and... Um, it had baked in accounts and it was all really nice and easy, it offered some real time stuff. It was using Meteor's front end framework called Blaze because React wasn't a thing yet. Um, and then React came out soon after, like really soon after. Uh, I moved to React, uh, moved the code base to uh, GraphQL API instead of a Meteor um, WebSocket based one. And uh, it, it just, and then eventually the TypeScript, I've refactored it so many times. And then um, eventually the whole thing was like, Listen, I'm paying a, a bit of a price for Meteor. It's a little bit more expensive to host. The CPU uh, usage is pretty intense for it because there's a lot of real-time stuff behind the scenes. And I'm not using any of it. Uh, so basically, Meteor has a lot of really fantastic things. It's like, it, it, it would be like, oh, I'm in, um, I'm in, do you guys remember DC or DZ Discovery Zone from when we were kids? Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, I'm in DZ Discovery Zone and there's all these slides around, but all I want to do is sit on the computer. Like, I'm not using any of the slides. <laughs> that was a career. So, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was it was like that. And so um, I, I decided to build my own platform and I'm, I'm using a whole, like a whole bunch of neat, neat build tools. I'm using Snowpack for the front end. Uh, I built my... Uh, APIs, still Apollo and everything. And it really, since we weren't using Meteor for very much, uh, all we had to do was rebuild the account system, which was a pain. And we had to redo any sort of build or bundling and hosting for that matter. So our API is now separate from the UI. They've always been intermingled. Uh, now they're separate. They're both hosted on render.com. And uh, we it, it's like very nice. I have full control over everything. I was just writing a whole bunch of neat features today. Um, do a lot of like fun code generation stuff now because I, I can, uh, it's like, it's my platform so I can add like fun little neat things to it. 
so that was really the main driver. We wanted to take advantage of some of these speed things. We're using a lot of like neat new tech and uh, with Snowpack, we're getting these crazy fast 50 millisecond rebuilds uh, in awesome. development time. It's crazy. Uh, it's, yeah. And it, it's like the fastest hot refresh you've ever used in React to change JavaScript. And I'm just like, I can't this, go back to anything else anymore. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> you know? Is it still using Create React app though? No. No, so okay. the front end is using Snowpack, just Snowpack, and Create oh. React. It, it basically does everything that Webpack would do, or in that case, uh -huh. Create React app would do. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it's very good. Uh, I had to, you know, customize it and whatever. One of the downsides to all of this is that Meteor did our server side rendering, which uh, brings into Brad's question. So Meteor did our server side rendering, um, and it was when I say Meteor did it. It, it was like a helper function that loaded up some stuff. It wasn't that intense, um, the things that Meteor was doing. For the most part, we were running our own server-side rendering implementation from scratch ourselves already. And uh, it was a giant pain. Like, there was just, like, often things like, like code splitting. When you have server-side rendering and we were using React Loadable but not using Webpack, uh, it was like, shoot, how do you do all that? Like, uh, all of the examples use Webpack. All of this, you know, there's there's plugins mm -hmm. for this, but you nothing that we could tap into without writing it ourselves. So for this release, we chose to release the latest version with just client-side rendering um, because I ran a Googlebot crawler, whatever they have in Webmaster Tools, and it, oh. it said it could read things fine. And I was <laughs> like, okay, sure. We're, do, we're, do you ever to like run the, the Bing Webmaster Tools or whatever they're called? Yeah, well, we, we don't rely on SEO that much, which yeah. is, you know, I've never been too obsessed with analytics and, and data in that regard. Um, so like we never had Google Analytics or or we're, we're not too obsessed with that SEO stuff. We figure um, the content will will drive people and we get we have other drivers like the Syntax podcast or um, my YouTube yeah. videos are, are, are big drivers for us. And yeah. more recently, we've been diving a bit more into SEO. I haven't decided what the future of SSR will be for the site. I'm pretty sure we had better uh, SEO scores with SSR, but it would be really tough to do. We'd have to roll it all ourselves again. I have some example code from before with Meteor that I have purposely kept around in the code base because I know that I'm thinking about it. But with the announcement of React server components, I'm like, do I want to spend a month getting this all working perfectly only to rip it out again when React Server component, or do I just want to live with, you yeah. know, client side rendering right now, and see what the future holds? So and that could handle I'm, everything for you, right? We'll see. It's going to be really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Wes and I want to do an episode on it for syntax, and we like start every single Monday with, "Well, I haven't, I haven't really done the research needed yet, so let's just let's do that one next week." And we've been doing yeah. that now for like two months, so <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, you talked a lot about kind of the journey through level up and, and where you were at with like Meteor. And if I tie it to what we're, we're looking to do, and that's the big reason that we had you on, um, we're creating a learning platform as well. Um, there's enough space. So I don't, I don't think oh, yeah. Scott's too freaked out that we're, we're joining the party. So there's no tons of space. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that, we, we decided to go down the Next.js road and we have, you know, the capability to put out all of our blogs and static pages and then all of our, our tutorials. Uh, I think those are static as well. And then for our learning platform, we have that on our SSR so that we can do authentication checks and kind of that paywall like you have on your, your member courses. So I think that's all very comparative in my mind. The piece mm -hmm. I'm curious about, and, and I'll talk through some of my thoughts on where we're headed, but I'm curious how you're doing a lot of your uh, like video pieces in that. So uh, what I mean by that is, so you've, you've completed, you, you went over to your editor, they've, they've taken your 20 minute videos down to like 10 minutes or whatever they need to be. Um, and you've uploaded those. I, I think you guys were using Mux last time I, I checked. So you've got them, you've got them loaded over there, but like, there's because we live in this Jamstack world, right? Like they're in different spots. So they're mm. out on YouTube, they're in Mux, and now you got to glue it back into your, your blog. Do you see a better flow to that um, in the future? Do you do that all in house and like a back end you've created? What's that look like for you guys? 
Yeah, so oh, we have a pretty substantial backend that we created uh, uh, initially in Meteor, but a lot of people don't realize that um, Meteor is just a node app. And in fact, the the router for Meteor is Connect-based, which was basically Express. So a lot of the things that everybody does in a node app, a standard node app, our code was already following all of these things. So it really wasn't too difficult for basically us to build the routing system on top of that uh, and serve up our API the same way it was for the backend. So we have a MongoDB database. We have a backend that's in just straight up Node. And then our API is via GraphQL. And what we do specifically, let's say I have a video. I'm working on changing this right now because the the release process takes me too long. Um, yep. I have to upload each video individually. I got to and wait. I got to uh, wait for it to process and and hand write all the details, which is why you occasionally see typos here and there. Um, And it's just, it's too much for me. The best flow we had was when we were using YouTube embeds, which we do have quite a bit on the site. I was sort of gaming the YouTube API by having all of the links be private and embedding them and then hitting their API and then just saving those URLs into the database. So that way uh, I could still hide them behind a paywall. You couldn't access them on YouTube. And at some point I was like, one, it, it doesn't feel premium. Like it doesn't feel like a product you'd want to pay for the videos on YouTube. But two, like I wasn't quite sure if YouTube would ever be catch on to that and be like, wait a second, we're not getting a cut of any of these sales or whatever. Let's just pull, pull, pull these channel or whatever. So I didn't want to put my faith in YouTube like that. Um, so that's when we made the move to Mux last year. And the Mux platform is basically, you could think of it, if you've ever used something like Cloudinary, where you can upload a video and it, it creates it on demand, that's basically what Mux is. We had to, unfortunately, write our own video uploader, which is my first time doing that, created a form, and I used a package called Upchunk, which is made by Mux. And Upchunk, basically, you just pass it in the form data and you say, Upchunk, go. And <laughs> <laughs> that's like really oh, careful with that and and they have like they have like a whole uh, webhook way of doing things but what the, what we ended up doing is just pulling it so uh pull p o o l l rather than pull uh what we do is we upload the video and then we just hit it every minute to see if the video is done processing is the video done processing yes all right gets all that information stores it in our database with an id and then we use player.js which is like a Man, the video world is complex because the way Mux works is that you're you're using, um, was it? <laughs> I keep on HLS maybe I think is the format dash yep. HLS or something HLS and it, it yeah it's it's complex yeah <laughs> uh, so basic but at the end of the day we basically are just being spat out an ID from Mux we append it to the URL we put it in the video player and it just works. Uh, so that's pretty much it. We just store everything in our database. We pull it up. Um, each each piece of content has you know access levels attached to it. Who can access it? And those types of things. And we cool. just actually recently started using the Mux Data, which is like their whole big analytics data platform. Because uh, we're going to start paying content creators based on like a royalty based. So based on how many views they're getting. Um, and so for that, we we need really intense <laughs> analytics to make sure that everybody's getting their their fair share. Yeah. So I, I think you talked through, we have very similar flow. Obviously, we're still working on our platform, um, which we're hoping to get done by the end of this month. And, but the the part that like struck me that you said was it's still like a process getting mm-hmm. through all this stuff. And it's like super painful in my mind. And um, so our back end is it's in Firebase for Firestore. And then we use Cloudinary for all of our, our videos and images Thank you, MDE folks, because yeah. they're helping me out with all that. Um, but it, when you go through that, like you just said, you, you're going from writing on the remarkable or then taking that to Notion, and then you've got to create a video, then you have to get it edited, then you have to upload that video somewhere. Now I need like an API to hook that thing back in. Now I need to type the blog mm. up, the course, and I got to get that video back over. Like. There is so many steps to this process, and I feel like um, there, there's got to be a better way to like reduce that down. Um, so I keep exploring like pieces for our app. I want to make it more multilingual as well. So mm-hmm. uh, 
part of our upload process that I've been working on with Firebase extensions, and, and hopefully we'll release that off the side too, but it's to do like a video upload, but then it examines like everything in that video too. So like we could lo- load this podcast right up to YouTube API. And as it's doing that, we could transcode it, pull the text out of it, then dub over it into Spanish if mm. people want the spanish version of that and then we would have all of those different like video ids and we could put out a multilingual site too and so it's i'm i'm like kind of still curious like it feels like even for your back end it's very manual and it takes away from that creative process if you ask me do you find that's that's the case for you like do you get bogged down in the, the details of all the parts and pieces that need to go out and you're like man i wish i could just do the course and it would magically flow yeah there's bits of that i'm so used to doing it all myself i mean since yeah. 2012 i've edited largely every video by myself we had a video editor for like six months and then this most recent one but other than that every other one i've edited edited, prepared, wrote the code for, wrote the uploader, everything myself. So like right now it feels pretty good to me. Um, <laughs> so uh, also like uh, we've been doing it all like 20 hours a, a week because the kids are here. So like it's hard for me to have that feeling like I, I need, I, I, I could make it more simple, but yeah. in my, I, I wrote out like a whole big list of improvements to make for the platform. So one of which is going to be, um, to have the the video titles include more metadata inside of a, a directory, we drop the directory on the page. Drag, drop, just go back, come back later. All of the data will be uploaded, attached to the right series, uh, given the correct order, given the correct title, all of those things. Um, and that's going to be in the next generation of our, our tool. We, we call our tool King Tut. Um, you know, cute names. <laughs> As you do. Yes, as we do. Yep. Yeah, we have the uh, the course Izer, the series Izer, King Tut, a bunch of fun, a lot of Izers. Nice. No, it's really cool. I the, I find that um, so like like you like we want to bring on authors and stuff like that too. Do you find and, and maybe you haven't had this requirement yet since you're not there yet. Um, I think our our biggest next struggle, like as soon as we release and we're we're doing our courses, but that next piece of bringing in a new author, it's almost like you have to either teach them all of your little tricks and mm. habits and things for uploading and things like that, or you have to open up that backend a little further so that they can handle that on their own. Is, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Like you're letting a little piece of that, that go, or do you have like all approval rights in your mind that, that you'll have to go through? Yeah. It's, it's something that we're dealing with right now because um, in the past I've created most of the content. However, we had three series uh, in the past done by very, very talented uh, teachers. So Spencer Carley, yeah, James. James Quick did a course on React and Firebase. Uh, Spencer Carley did a course on React Native. And Travis Nielsen did a course on Adobe XD and design. And all three of them just very, very good at what they do. So they, they basically, they were able to just give me the video files. All right. And then I just did my normal release process. And that, nice. that's pretty much it. Uh, just because I can I can release in a day, whatever. Um, and I like to usually cut it to that release day. So um, I, that, that has been a, a process in the past that was always very, just, just get your stuff to me by this date. I trust you. You're all professionals. You're very good at what you do and everybody's delivered. Now we're going to be evolving a little bit. Now I mentioned like paying out royalties and those types of things. Yeah. So like the process is, is going under a, a pretty significant change right now, but at the end of the day, I'm still probably going to be the one uh, controlling that whole release process. Yeah. Um, we have two content creators signed on to do two courses coming up and it'll be the first time that we get to test a lot of things like the analytics stuff, but it's also going to be an opportunity for us to test um, some new like author tools that we're creating. And I have been saying we a lot. It's been just me on the site for a long time, but we have a a new development manager. His name's Tom Allen. He's super good. Um, And he's been like taking uh, Brittany, you may have seen him on the the discord as Tom. Yeah. He, uh, 
he has been like really taking charge of a lot of stuff and uh, it's been it's been fantastic for me because like he he's a very skilled developer but he's also really good at planning so like when i we started talking about like well what does the system look like for additional authors to come on he like wrote up this huge wiki page and it's like all right here are like here are the things that need to happen here's the technical things that need to happen here's like here's uh, like a a non-legal contract written up sort of like the the things that we need from them and whatever um and for the most part, it is going to be manual uh, because we we have like a, our processes. Um, the the process is one premium course a month, and who knows if that will stay forever. But it's like a magazine subscription, right? And so, at one premium course a month, if people are coming on, we're we're paying them upfront and we're paying them royalties, whatever. Then, like that gives us the opportunity to have it be a much more um, much more controlled process than like nobody's nobody's getting logging on to just upload and go nuts themselves but we're also experiencing or experimenting with some other new things we have a quiz a quizzes feature that we've been (laughs) the quizzes feature has been effectively completed for about like six months and (laughs) it's it's just hidden behind a flag because i and the people are waiting on me to design some end screens and like that (laughs) that's kind of been the, the whole problem it's so it's so nuts but we have quiz content uh, all ready to go. Everything's all like, man, it, it, it's something that we've been experimenting with because what we want to do is we want people to be able to submit like, here, I created this quiz. I I want users on Level Up Tutorials to be able to create a quiz. And if that quiz goes through the approval process, we look at it and say, yeah, that's good. Then they get like an immediate cash payout to say like, okay. all right, here here's money for your time to do that um, because you know, you've now created something for the site. And at the same time, it will feature them as an author and stuff on the site. Yeah. So we're experimenting a little bit with that, but it hasn't gone live to the point where we need to uh, discover any of the the wonderful things you discover when you start any project. Yeah, <laughs> like all of the complexity. Little AP testing and uh, start yeah. those down. Nice. Yeah. All those little bugs that come through. You're doing affiliate links too, right? Now that's kind yeah. of a newer feature. Yeah, that's another thing I wrote once and then like never told anybody about. And like the sign up, the, the site, the site's like that a lot. And that's part of why Tom's here because Tom's, Tom's, Tom will just be like, all right, what does this need before this goes live? Like, why is it this live? And for the affiliates, it was like the process was everybody kind of had to go through me. Like I had to approve. So like Wes, Wes had an affiliate account like two or three years ago. And so if he was, if he was, uh, sharing my stuff on black friday or something it was always through affiliate links but i had to sign him up manually in the back end i had to uh approve i had like all, all all these like hoops i had to jump through even though the tracking the sales dashboards all those things had been completed but it, it was like the dumbest little thing uh stopping me from opening it up more and now i was just like oh, this is so dumb. We could just put a form on here it signs people up and then they can get started using the affiliate links in like two seconds Oh, well, why didn't we just do that before? But, you know. <laughs> I know it takes uh, a while to get yourself back to where you can, like, help manage uh, your own things. <laughs> especially when, like, I already have so many responsibilities. Uh, I'm ADHD and, like, just have too many things on my plate at any given point. So well, um, you said, like, you do all your course editing in one day. And I think that helps a little uh, bit with that, where you can keep your headspace in whatever you're doing, cut it to a, an amount of time. You can do that, get all of it done, and then move on to the next thing. And just yeah. keeping your head where you need to be at each yeah. any given point. Ba- batching, batching tasks for me has been, like, the thing to keep me sane. So, so Kobe's uh, curious on the... Uh you know, new authors coming on. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you have you added a submit proposal opportunity? Uh, we have a link hidden on the site right now, but uh, Colby, you could just DM me. Um, that's how we're doing it right now. It, it's it's kind of like a, a, a permanent invite basis kind of thing. But we uh, hit me up, Colby. We'll we'll talk about it. That's that's really how it is because a lot of the stuff is still pretty manual. We're working on changing some of that. But um, actually, no. You know what? Oh. I take that back. I take that back. Kobe, I have something for you. I'll post in the, the show notes here. Put a banner up, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a Google form that Tom just made. And I have, uh, we haven't had anybody use it yet because we haven't put it in anywhere. So it's available. Very cool. I'll uh, I'll put that in our, our show notes and uh, we'll have it on the blog for sure. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think we we kind of covered kind of the history of level up tutorials, and then um, <laughs> some funny comments. Um, and we we walked through kind of your iterations and how you did that side of it, and and we talked about courses, and uh, you know, we really appreciate you coming on and talk through this because we're we're going through all these same pains that you've already went through, and it's so awesome in our community of of web developers. We're always so eager just to help each other out and and learn. And as we talked about, like the space is wide open. But the yeah. one thing that um, I kind of find still difficult after doing, you know, I haven't been doing great coursework we'll we'll get there but um building up that audience is it do you find that it's more important to create like one amazing course or is it you know many courses that really help helped you out can you talk through that process and how to build that audience up i think any way you go about it you need to get like reps in doing the teaching um so whatever that may be uh, and it can be like low stakes, whatever. For instance, like Wes, he he has a crazy big audience. We all know that he, his content is very good, right? But he learned primarily teaching that way as a, a, a an instructor at a boot camp. He did a lot of like workshops and a lot of teaching in, in person. Uh, and he he really got his reps in that way in addition to making YouTube content, whatever. And so he he grew his audience sharing tips and tricks and whatever. And he can put out one or two courses uh, a year or whatever. And that's like all good for him. Um, for me, I've always been the type to like just really get in with as many reps as possible. When I was uh, doing music, I wanted to be a musician full time. It's just like record an album a month, you know, just who cares? Rec like, I'm not going to sit and make this song perfect. I'm going to record a song, move on to the next one and just try to get those reps in. And like, instead of, um, you know, fidgeting with one thing over and over again, really just uh, figure out like what went good about it and what went wrong about it and, and move on. So I'm of the mind that no matter what, whether it is teaching in front of people, giving conference talks, giving uh, uh, meetups, whenever those exist again, giving meetup talks, signing up for things that way, uh, doing things like this, going on Twitch and just talking, live coding, sharing your stuff that way, that all counts. And the more and more you get used to it, the more comfortable you're going to be, the better the content's going to be. So my, you, um, my outlook has always been create a lot of stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you get your most feedback like directly on the site or like I, I know you opened up the Discord not too long ago. Mm -hmm. That's the way or is it Twitter and people are like, oh, this this course was trash. Why did you make it that like what does that look like for you? Uh, it's been a little bit different since moving off of YouTube. YouTube was like a hellhole of comments. Oh yeah. Just <laughs> like, you know, people telling me to, to you know do bad things to myself or whatever, <laughs> you know, you know, comment. It's ridiculous fr from day one. And, and I just stopped looking at them is really what it is. And a lot of the videos, I think now I'm going to just release with the no open comments, especially if it's not like a, if it's not like something that is going, like I used to leave comments open just so people, if there was like a change between then and now that people could alert each other of it. Um, but now I'm just like, oh, I want to deal with it all. So yeah, um, comments um, are ridiculous please be kind people come on just be kind right so discord is the best uh for me like to reach out to us personally and in, in those sort of ways we get a lot of like feedback there um we also have like a feedback thing when you cancel your subscription which we started doing a little bit ago if you cancel it'll pop up at like a little how satisfied are you with it thing because again we didn't take a lot of metrics like that and um, part of it is us growing up and turning this thing into something that's less of a uh youtube channel and something that's more of like a a full-on tutorial service uh like a magazine or something like that uh, another thing that around like growing an audience and getting feedback on your stuff is to make it predictable and planable and whatever for instance like we've released a syntax episode every monday and wednesday for you know 330 episodes or whatever and we never missed one uh youtube i monday wednesday friday three videos or or some like people could expect it and 
yeah, the consistency is really what would grow the audience no matter what. Um, and I'm not trying to grow my YouTube audience right now. Um, so I'm not posting on YouTube very much. I just do it whenever I feel like it. People can watch it if they want, whatever. But if I was like actively saying, all right, I want to, I want to grow my Twitch audience or I want to grow my YouTube audience. What I would do is I'd come up with the schedule, I'd come up with the time and I would hit those release dates every single week because that really is like the biggest thing to grow any sort of platform is to give people that predictability. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time, uh, a lot of time, a lot of a lot of views on stuff. And it might not hit for many years and maybe it'll hit. I watched a, um, a YouTube video last night from there's a, a channel I really like called Summoning Salt. They do video game speed running documentaries, which sounds ridiculous. Oh, I don't even care about video game speed running. I've never, ever had any inclination about video speed running whatsoever. But he does these like 40 minute documentaries that dive into it. And he gave a little brief rundown of the history of his channel. And like one of the things he was just like talking about was just like, yeah, this year I I had, uh, you know, 46 subscribers for this year. And then this year and like now he's oh, he just hit a million subscribers. So that's why he did this thing. So it was just like, well, he didn't he didn't give up or whatever. He, yeah. you know, understood, you know, what was working, what wasn't and stayed consistent with it. And, you know, this keeps coming up. This is the second podcast, and it's just that kind of encouragement of just keep going. When you have a bad day and you don't want to keep going, just keep going. So, just, yeah, my my wife always says the the Dory slogan of just keep swimming. So we try to stick to that around here. Yeah, I know that's how that's how I've really approached everything. From like, you know, when I first started wanting to learn how to dance, everybody told me it was ridiculous that I I wanted to learn how to break dance because it was like you. You can't dance. Like, what are you thinking, man? Like, <laughs> I was like a skateboarder, or you know, did not have any dancing bone in my body. And it's just like, well, it turns out when you show up to practice, you know, every single every single week, and you show up for practice for fifteen years, you get kind of good at something. <laughs> like, it, it, it is amazing how you chip away at it a little bit every day, and next thing you know, you you actually are where you want it to be. So, like, you weren't spinning on your head day one, right? Oh yeah, no, I was maybe trying to and uh, hurting myself very badly. And getting your concussion. <laughs> getting my concussion. I was certainly uh, known as somewhat reckless, so like that's definitely a thing. Just being being able to be a little bit reckless. I cannot be reckless anymore. I do not have that uh, regeneration <laughs> ability anymore. And you have children. <laughs> and right. I have children. Yes. Yeah. My children right. will be reckless. My dad was reckless before me, so it was it, it is inevitable at this point. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate um, you breaking down level up tutorials and like your journey through this and, um, you know, talking about syntax. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that we can pull you in occasionally to say, hey, here's where we're at. What, what have we done wrong uh, this week? Can you tell us or this month? Uh, can you can you tell us more on how to fix it? So um, at this time, though, I'd really love to go through what we call perfect picks. We yeah. always want to end out our show. What do, what do you guys call yours? I always forget. Sick picks. Sick picks. That's, that was something that we came up on, on day one of planning of syntax when we were like, we got to have something called sick picks where we pick something. <laughs> I think the first day of doing this podcast with him, I accidentally said sick picks because it was a habit of listening to syntax. It is funny. Brittany was like, oh no, I, I uh, said sick picks. I'm like, no one will notice. It's fine. <laughs> So uh, Scott's up first with his first, uh, I almost said sick pick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with my, my perfect, perfect pick is uh, <laughs> this Remarkable 2 tablet. This is mine. I don't know if you can see this. This is, Wait, the, this is a, a mountain. There you go. Um, a mountain. It's an e-ink tablet. So that makes it really, uh, batteries like always on. This is, this is a mountainscape. This is, let's see, Denver is right here-ish somewhere over here and boulder is over here <laughs> uh, but this thing is 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 like one it's crazy thin it's the thinnest tablet that i've ever seen um so super duper oh, thin man. the battery lasts forever and it's e-ink so it's not like super fast or um super responsive but the pen has like zero latency um so the pen feels really good on it and the uh the feel of everything is like this textured glass that feels just like paper when you're writing on it. And there's, you know, an eraser, 
Um, <laughs> it's a, and there's like a whole bunch of different uh, templates and whatever. I am like a notebook guy. I used to love always having a, a grid paper notebook on my desk and I would just sketch the life out of it um, and, and just, just jot down notes and whatever. And I haven't been doing that lately. So when I found out about this thing, paid by Remarkable, you probably should be because that's incredible. There's mine. <laughs> yeah, I am not paid by Remarkable. I checked to see. Oh yeah, yeah. I use I always use the, the five star grid ones that were like really pretty cheap. This thing is not a cheap device. It's a single purpose device. A lot of people are like, why wouldn't you just use an iPad? Totally get it. If I had an iPad on my desk, I would be staring at the iPad and putting it on YouTube or whatever. Like, yeah. I need a thing that's a notepad, and it's a very good one. It syncs with the cloud, so everything's just uploaded. Um, automatically. One thing that we've been doing, my son's been using a lot to practice drawing on it. So uh, oh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We, we can like chat around with it and whatever. And you don't have to worry about paper or pens or messes or anything like that. It's just it's just a really cool device. Awesome. Or them sticking off to another app on the iPad. I, I kind of wish the Kindles would add in the functionality. I think that's what I said when I first saw totally. it. They're a little expensive. And if my Kindle had it, like then it would be absolutely perfect for me. Totally. A lot of people even use these as like a, a, a reader that they can highlight and sketch in the note. Because like, you can basically it treats anything as just a layer. So like in Photoshop, you can create new layers. Okay. So like if you were reading an ebook, you could always create a new layer then write your own notes on top of it and then turn those notes off or anything like that. So people do some like really interesting stuff like that, but yeah. Yeah. We've we've got an awesome comment. Would you say it's remarkable? (laughs) I would, I would, I would. Well done, done, Greco. Yeah. Feels remarkable. Nice. (laughs) So Brittany, you have the next pick and I think it might be a site we've seen before. Yeah. One of Scott's more recent courses, maybe a few months ago now, but animating Svelte. Svelte is like my love. I, I'm obsessed with Svelte. And this animating Svelte course, I use it in every Svelte app that I have now because it goes through a lot of the things that you can um, do in Svelte that are actually usable on a site. It's not just a... Uh, toy stuff that you won't mm-hmm. ever use it's actually functional stuff that you're going to put on your site like a uh, toast and a uh, modal we put in there and the nav and scott does a great job teaching so thank you yeah. oh, very that cool. one in the css design systems course is fantastic for me i got a lot of good feedback on that css yeah. design course Love one that. And the animating Svelte, I think my favorite thing in there is the get is the uh, Svelte actions where you where we do like the draggable stuff. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I felt like I should log out, so I logged out, or otherwise I'd go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, here's your second bit. Oh yeah, and my other one is the chair I'm actually sitting in right now. I just got yeah. uh, almost a week ago on Amazon, and this thing is super comfy. Feels like one of the nice Herman Miller chairs at a fraction of the cost. So, I mean, it's got that little ergonomic thing in the for your back. It's got the arms like can switch whichever way. The head goes up and down. It's super nice chair. So for, for folks that uh, don't know, we live in, in an area in West Michigan um, near Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is basically the office furniture capital of yes. the, the world. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so the funny thing is Steelcase has an advertisement above it here um, with their $621 share. So I used to work for Steelcase and I worked for, for Herman Miller and I've worked for Hayworth, Hayworth for like 10 years. And this was always something that we fought with. How do you compete with these other chairs that basically just rip off all your engineering designs and then start selling them? And it's like, without a like patent that they're breaking, it's so hard to. So people uh, during Corona, <laughs> they've realized like, I'm sitting in this awful, like probably kitchen chair all day. I need something sweet. So they are struggling to figure out this one for sure. The, the yeah. cool thing is like some of these uh, Amazon, like steel case things that took a lot of work to, uh, get our, our companies to figure out to do that anyways sorry i, I dove into a place i probably shouldn't <laughs> no no it's all good it's funny it's 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 nice to get that i i was always aware of the the herman miller and steel case and and the the chairs over in the west side of michigan but the west side of michigan always felt so far away from us <laughs> east, east side folks feels like a different world yeah it really is. You, have, you have cars on one side and furniture on the other <laughs> So my first pick, um, which I believe um, if you, yeah, you have a course on this. So Dino, I mean, Dino is 
is amazing. I don't know that it's quite there yet. I don't know that I would use it full time in production. Um, it's getting there though, for sure. So it's a uh, as as many of you have heard, I love TypeScript. It, it has saved me um, tons of bugs in production. And now you can use basically, I'll say Node.js, even though I know this is probably not totally correct. You can use Node in more of a TypeScript manner and a safe way. So very cool. Um, check that one out. My second pick, I was just on um, my Google developer hangout or expert hangout for North America. And the gentleman on there said, hey, we just released our, our latest March Madness thing. Uh, go check it out. So I, I'm, I love college basketball. Um, and this app is it's pretty sweet. I thought it would, it, it does run on my Mac, but I didn't realize it was not specific for a Mac. So it works very well on my iPad though. Uh, it's, it's very cool to go through different brackets and things like that. And they just uh, released it. If I click on history version, March 2nd. So he wasn't lying. He was doing it while we were on our <laughs> Oh, geez. <laughs> they don't have an Android version? They do have one, but I think he, and I could be misquoting here. Um, I went out and looked and they don't have a new release of it. And he said he was fighting with the Play Store still. So I, I think that's probably the issue over there. I'll give him a pass. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, thanks again, Scott, for coming on uh, Perfect.dev. I really appreciate it. I hope we can have you on again. Uh, maybe you have some new features uh, coming out when we can Constantly. chat about it. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. Um, I'm I'm here and I got I got 20 extra hours a week to work with. So I'm sure you won't fill those up at all. Yeah, I'm I'm ready (laughs) to go. Yeah, yeah. Very excited. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again. Stay warm. Uh, Wait, you don't need to. Yeah. (laughs) Take care. (laughs) See ya. Bye.